Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Welcome City Bridge Community Church. It is good to get to be with you this morning. My name is Jeff Parker. I'm the Director of Pastoral Care. If you are watching online, we are so glad that you have joined us as well. And with me today, I have a friend, Michael Kinney. Um, Yes, you can... Uh, And I've gotten to walk with Michael for the last six years, and I've been especially encouraged by, uh, Michael, your journey the last couple of years, but I don't want to spoil that. I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Michael Kinney. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. Uh, Hello, friends. As Jeff said, my name is Michael, and I've been a part of this church family since we opened the doors here in Plano. Uh, I have an incredible wife, Stephanie, of 14 years now and five beautiful children, uh, three girls and two boys. And for 20 years of my life, I was stuck in an addiction to pornography. This sin struggle left me in a constant and daily battle. I kept my sin in the dark and I would tell half truths and spend so much of my time and energy managing the secret, all the while wasting away inside. Psalm 32.3 says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away and through groaning all day long. My struggle with pornography began at the age of 14. I vividly remember the first images that I stumbled upon on the internet. I recall telling them to my parents and I was simply told to stay away from that stuff. But let me be clear, I don't blame my parents or anyone else for the sin that I chose to follow. In sin, I simply followed and pursued my own desires, creating a prison with the keys to my freedom in my own pocket the whole time. My desires and my comfort came first. This sin would eventually follow me into my marriage and affect so many aspects of my life. Wasting away inside, I was not able to be the faithful husband to my bride and father to my children that God had intended. Christ-centered leadership and fruitful relationships with my children were absent. My wife tells me now of how things were and how she viewed our marriage before my confession. She felt a lot oftentimes alone and as a single parent. Um, parenting on our own. Uh, By the world standards, we were doing fine, but now seeing the other side of how Christ had begun to transform, we had no idea what our marriage could be. My relationship with Christ was distant and stagnant. My ability to be a servant to people and be active in the body of Christ was not authentic. It seemed like I had no way out. I tried on my own strength to leave my addiction behind, but I felt short time and time again. Proverbs 28, 13, he who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. My recovery through Christ began at a marriage conference at then Watermark Plano in February, 2020. A time of confession was offered to me and my wife and I selfishly took the entirety of the time to confess my sin struggle with pornography. There was such an incredible and unexplainable feeling of freedom that accompanied the confession. My wife met me with astounding grace and mercy that still encourages me today. And to this day, I still don't know if she had anything to share. (laughs) My family, my community group members, church members, and fellow region goers met me with acceptance, love, and understanding. The next few weeks were challenging hard work, but they produced amazing results. Now that I had finally followed 
God's plan, his instruction to confess sin and live in the light, my journey of restoration could begin. The devil convinces us that our sins are unique to us and they're too shameful to reveal and the consequence of confession is too great to bear. The burden the enemy entangles us in drags us down into eventual suffering in this life and then eternally into the next. Sin can be pleasing and fun for a time, but it is a house that's built on unstable ground and will without fail collapse. Never forget that our magnificent creator, he already knows we're sinners and we don't even come close to his glorious standard. We've all fallen short, every single one of us. Confession was just the first step. Trust had to be rebuilt in my marriage. In order to lay a good foundation to rebuild trust, I was sure to confess 100%. Not just that I've had a struggle with pornography. I was sure to confess the appropriate level of detail and answered all of her questions to the best of my ability. And I knew that if I left anything on the table, it would be enough to pull me back into sin. I was so grateful for the grace that I had received. I held the freedom that God gave me very carefully because I knew how easy it was to fall back into my sin struggle. Some of the next faithful steps for me to my wife were to let go of privileges that I once had. I gave up access to many devices in our house and on all the devices that I needed, we put content blockers and accountability software. Um, I even took a sabbatical from screens for quite some time. Along the way, and even to this day, I'm still tempted in sin, but I made sure to write myself a note to remind how desperate I was, how fun and pleasure of sin eventually faded away, and then I'm left miserable in chains. At the advice of friends and church leadership, my next faithful step was to join the regeneration ministry here at our church. This ministry helped lay a foundation for my daily walk with Christ and equipped me with the tools that I needed to continue restoration for life. One of the many lessons that resonated with me during regeneration was to walk with God one day at a time. My goal is not to go 10, 20, or 30 years or even the rest of my life without falling into my past sin, but to walk with God today and ask him for the strength and wisdom that I need. And sometimes I'm praying that prayer moment by moment. Thanks to God's restoration plan, Jesus Christ, the blameless and perfect lamb, dying on the cross, becoming the ultimate sacrifice for all of my sins, putting my trust in that promise and then confessing and turning away from my sins. He made me into a new creation. My old sinful desires are fading away and my love for God, for good things and for other people is increasing. Stephanie and I have been gifted a new incredible marriage, one where we are quick to listen, understand each other and serve each other in humility. We pursue Christ and pray together. My wife describes it like one of those videos where you see the colorblind person put on those glasses that allow them to see color for the first time. We had no idea what we were missing out on. Proverbs 4.18, the path of the righteous is like the morning sun, shining ever brighter until the full light of day. Relationships with my children are more fruitful as we've seen them their once bad behavior be completely removed. And not really, I wish that was a fact, but... We are still working on it, but my wife and I are truly on the same team now and love to biblically discipline our children together. Now that I'm free and living in the light, I can have those authentic and specific conversations about sin struggles with my children. 
sharing with them God's love in our sin and then warning of its consequences. Isaiah 61.3, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. After commencing from Regen, I had the opportunity to lead a new group of men through the process. And for the past year, I have had a front row seat to see God's miraculous work all over again. And I've been joyful every single minute of it. My journey in recovery is ongoing day by day. I praise God for the mercy that he's shown me and the confidence that he's building in me. I now look for opportunities to help and love others rather than avoid them. God has the desire and the power to change us at any moment. His desire to be with us and for us to be in his perfect will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Christ came to show the way. God has given us the playbook of how to be restored through his word, the Bible. I'm thankful now to be a part of his plan and I hope and pray he would lead me in more opportunities where I can help call others into his kingdom. So I urge you today through experience, humility, and in wisdom through God's word to confess. You can make every effort to turn away from your sin on your own, but without God, it's impossible. Thank you all for your time. Thank you, my friend. Um, I've, I've said it already, but I mean, the, the only thing better than listening to it was getting to watch it unfold behind, before my very eyes. And so thank you for that. And we celebrated Stephanie. I don't think she's in this service. We celebrated her uh, in the first service and just so grateful, Stephanie, for your forgiveness and the way that uh, you added fuel to his repentance by the way you responded and modeled Christ's love. And so let me pray for you, Stephanie, and your family. Lord, um, thank you. Uh, for this family, thank you for um, just the gift that they are to this body. Would you multiply their kind? Would you mu multiply uh, Michael's uh, bravery and courageousness to confess if, he, if there's people in here that's stuck? And would you multiply Stephanie's ability to forgive in our body in a way that uh, would make your name more famous? And Lord, uh, may that have a lasting effect on generations to come. And so, Lord, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, how about that? Um, <laughs> we are in a, a series that we're calling Worldview uh, that uh, we are teaching one another how to think biblically on whatever the topic it is that is before us. And not only that, but then how to respond biblically so that ultimately we can live biblically in a fallen world, that we can represent the king as ambassadors in the kingdom and the land that he has placed us in. And today we're getting to talk about marriage and, uh, and what a most important topic uh, that we can be talking about. And uh, one of the things that I've just thought about as I've prepared for the last couple of weeks for this message is just this idea of, man, what if we get this one right? What if we get this one right? And, I, and, and just listening to Michael's testimony, listening to Stephanie's response, it's just a little glimpse to me of what happens if we get this one right? What happens when a husband begins to, to step into his role as a, as a faithful husband who's pursuing Christ? What happens then even a faithful wife who's been faithful begins to flourish in even new ways because of that? And he had you on the kids thing for a second. You're like, if I confess, wait, my kids just fall in line? But don't you know that those five Kenny kids there's gonna be a ripple effect in the lineage of their family tree because of the marriage, the worldview they've gotten from watching mom and dad, especially these last couple of years. I mean, what if we get this right? 
Now, the family and marriage is one of the three institutions that God has set up. God set up the government, God set up the church, and God set up the family. And this family is, is, it's the smallest institution that God has set up, but it's the most influential one. And we say often here, as the family goes, so goes the church. And as the church goes, so goes culture. And if we look at culture today, and we see the destabilization of society today, it's pretty clear that we're not getting this right. As we look at what's happening in culture, it's a, it's a, it's a red flag, it's a warning to something's going on in families, something's going on in marriages, and we haven't been getting this right. And so we would do well today to double back down on getting this right you can take a just about any issue or problem, a relational problem in society that involves people, and you can, in many instances, trace it back to the family. Somewhere up to, depending on the surveys you look, somewhere between 85 to 90% of inmates in federal prisons today come from broken homes, either divorced families or fatherless homes or, or families that never got married. You can even look at the homelessness problem. And there was a survey in New York a few years ago that said 62% of respondents can point to a specific moment, that specific moment being parental separation that began to set in course dominoes that would lead them to where they were in that moment. And so we've got work to do here for when Satan wants to change the world, he starts in the home. And so our goal is not just to avoid certain aspects in our marriages. Our goal today is I want us to get to a place where we push for marriages that are flourishing, marriages that are thriving. And so I'm excited about where we're going today. But let me just stop uh, and, and say this up front, because I know that there are a lot of unique, specific situations in the room. And uh, here's my goal for today is... Uh, for the next 30 minutes or so, I just want us to listen to what God's word says first. And, uh, and, and do me a favor and do maybe even yourself a favor. Don't think yet I'm talking specifically about your specific unique situation. Afterwards, during the week, at any other point, then let's gather together. And we'll talk about what God's word now means for your specific situation. Because I know up front in this room, I know we have many friends who have gone through divorce here. And this by no means is a message that is intended to condemn you or shame you. Some of the most faithful men and women in our body here have divorce as a part of their story. And if you're new here, or maybe you just wanna be reminded of it, if you're divorced, we want you here. And we want to journey with you on your journey. We also have single friends in the room today, and I'm pumped about that. The single life is no second-class life, and that's not the married pastor talking. That's Paul talking from 1 Corinthians 7. And so uh, a single life dedicated to the Lord is an awesome life, and the Lord has something for us no matter what season we're in. He's constantly trying to conform us into his image, and so don't miss out on what the Lord has for you in the season you're in, whichever one it may be. And beyond that, I know there's a lot of different people in the room in a lot of different places. And so I'm gonna pray that the spirit would help the right truths sink in with us this morning. Lord, um, I confess, we confess that in, in, in our own strength, man has nothing to offer one of us, each of us today. And I feel holy, um, 
humble in that ability to just have nothing in my own offerings to share with the people, but you in your spirit have the right truths for the right hearts and you can help them sink in in right ways. And so will you help um, conviction set in where there needs to be uh, conviction and will you help guilt and shame steer away from those hearts that might be prone to hear that today, Lord? We need your help in order for that to happen. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, you know the questions. Marriage worldview, question number one, what does the Bible say about marriage? And so turn with me, we're gonna be in Genesis one and two and Ephesians five. These are cornerstone passages when it comes to defining God's plan for marriage. We'll be jumping around between the two, but that's where we'll be. And as we spend time in Genesis one and two, let me just remind you, as we talk about God's design for marriage, that God is a perfect God who is instituting a perfect institution, even at the time in perfect society. And so keep that in mind as we begin to dive into what God's word says about his design for marriage. So let's start in Genesis two, verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. We'll come back to that word in a little bit. And then in verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took out one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from a man, he made into a woman, brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore, marriage number one, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. The words prokalaz, which is to mean to be glued together, to be cemented. They should hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now we know just in the next chapter of Genesis that Satan would come, sin would enter and marriage would be distorted. And so when Christ came, the Pharisees began to lean in and poke in on what marriage was, and they were testing the purity of the Savior's doctrine. And so when uh, time came for the Pharisees to test Jesus on it, Jesus quotes Genesis 2, 24 in Matthew 19, 5. He says it, therefore, a man shall leave his father, it's just what Moses had told you, and his mother, and prokalize to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And then he adds, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus doubled down on the institution of marriage and its design. And so let's pause and take a look at God's perfect and beautiful design for marriage. That it would be just from those two passages, we see that it would be a lifelong union and that it would be between one man and one woman. And so just in those two bullet points, it speaks to some of the uh, sin that we see, it speaks to some of the ways that our, in our lives, our marriages begin to fall short of God's standard. Adultery falls short of that standard. Divorce falls short of the standard. Homosexuality falls short of God's perfect standard. But that's not the complete definition. And so let's go back to Genesis 1 for a second and continue to work on our definition of God's design for marriage. Verse 27, it says in Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God was blessing Adam and Eve in this moment and then marriages in the future. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, yes, God's design for marriage is to be a lifelong union. Yes, God's design is between one man and woman. But it's also to help them, their family, and society flourish. And so for those of us that can look at the first couple bullet points and go, well, I'm doing those things. The standard is not just an undivorced marriage that is dead, yet the marriage vows are technically intact. The goal is a flourishing marriage that is flourishing both for the husband and for the wife and for the family and for all of society. And this is a high standard that the Lord is putting before us. And then we know what Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, that for every season of our life, we know that it says, for those that who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And for those whom he foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In all aspects of our life, wherever we're at, he wants to be conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And that's true in our marriage as well. And so there's always a question is, hey, what is my marriage presenting to a watching world? Is it one of Christ's transformative power? The one where we are being more and more conformed into the image of Christ. And so this is it. God's perfect design for marriage is the lifelong union between one man and one woman to help them, their family, and society to flourish by conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. Now, look, I could say more. And many others have in a variety of books, but scripture keeps it really simple. Now, there are roles for the husband and wife in the marriage. And I know that that begins to get everyone's heart beating a little bit sometimes, right? But I want to remind you that a perfect God instituted a perfect institution in marriage in society when it was perfect. The roles that God has assigned for both the wife and the husband are perfect in their design. And so again, let's jump in and let's go back to Genesis two, just for a second in verse 18, it says, then the Lord God said, we're gonna look at the wife's role first. It says, then the Lord God said, is it not good that the man should be alone? I will make him a helper fit for him. That word helper is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit. The idea is that um, just as the Holy Spirit is a completer and, and, and working on sanctifying us, so too is the wife in the role of a marriage to be playing a role of completion, a helpmate. This is not a second-class role. This is a strong, important role that God has assigned women to play in their marriage. But notice that the word is complete and not compete. But it does mean, women, that you are free to speak up. You don't stay silent in the face of sin. And godly men, godly husbands should welcome and even cherish the sharpening and completion that wives have to offer. Let's turn to Ephesians 5, verse 22 through 24. And let's deal with that word that sometimes gets us turned around and upside down. It says in verse 22, Paul, the Holy Spirit writing through Paul, wives, submit to your own husbands. We'll come back to that word as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself. This is important to the whole dialogue and its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything 
to their husbands. Now we do need to deal with that word submit. It is role number two for the wife in marriage is to submit willingly. But unfortunately this verse, that word in verse Ephesians 5.22 has been misapplied. It has been misused and it has been frankly abused by many in the church. In our flesh, both men and women want to distort what this word actually means. But I want to tell you this, the call is actually wonderful and very biblical. Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14 that God is a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. And so every aspect of our life, God has roles for his believers, regardless of where we are. He has roles for his people. If you take citizens, we have a role of being under the authority of our rulers. We willingly submit as citizens under the authority of our rulers. Employers, employees, God has a role for us in it that as employees, we willingly submit to the authority of our employers. And just as the church, it says in Ephesians 5, that as the church, we willingly come under submission to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who's the head. And then in the specific local congregation, you and I as, as, as members here or as people that are coming to this church, we willingly come under authority. We willingly come under the leadership of our elders. This is normative behavior for the believer that we see in all aspects of life. And as it is in marriage, God has a role for the women that is similar in the sense of they're coming under, willingly under the authority of their husband. Now husbands... Your wife's view of that word is directly tied to how well you love her and care for her and serve her. And so if your wife is getting caught up on that, you can begin to look at yourself and go, where do I need to grow in this? Because it is a wonderful biblical call that we see all over the place. And then in Ephesians 5.33, the passage ends that let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so God's perfect design for the role of wife in marriage is one that uh, is one where the wife helps complete, where the wife willingly submits and where the wife respects her husband. It's just this gorgeous picture of supporting her husband. And this is not a compromise of a female's value or rank or identity. This is the beautiful role God has assigned wives in the lifelong union between a man and a woman to help them, their families, and society flourish by conforming them into the image of Christ more and more. That's God's perfect design for the role of the wife. Let's now look at the perfect design for the role of the husband in marriage. And if somehow, men, the word submit puffs you up, let's let this passage immediately humble us. Ephesians 5 verse 25, it says, husbands, love your wives. And if my heart gets beating fast when I consider this next clause. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, that's a high call. That's a humbling call. The standard of a husband's love is Christ's cross. And look what Christ was doing for the church. It says that, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of word with, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. 
Notice what Christ does for the church. It's our example, man. Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. He sanctifies her, having cleansed her to be present, to present her before the Lord. Christ labors to beautify his church. He does not crush the church, but rather sacrifices himself to serve her. And so husbands, in the same way, love your wives as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as Christ does the church. Husbands, give of yourself for your wife so that she might flourish into the person and to the full potential that God has for her. And so we see it just in verses 25 and 26, the husband rolls. Husbands love your wives. That's the agape love that we see in other passages, sacrificial love, expecting nothing in return. And we push our wives to grow in Christ-like image, knowing that it's Christ that ultimately does that, but we play a role in continuing to push towards her, towards Christ. This is the perfect, and I might add, humbling role God has assigned husbands in the lifelong union between a man and a woman to help them, their families, and society flourish by conforming them, by conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. And so that is what the Bible says about marriage and the roles. And so how do I and how do we respond in humility? Well, let's just look at God's perfect design, his definition for marriage. Let's just look at it for a second. That's what we just worked through. And when I look at this, when I look at God's high call for marriage, when I look at specifically my role, or maybe as you look at specifically your role, I don't look at my role and go, man, I'm crushing it. I look at that and go, man, I've got work to do when it comes to serving and to sacrificing. And, to... and so there's four things that I would call us to do. And as we look at the definition, I think it should humble us. If that doesn't humble you, let me give you one other observation before we jump into our four things. You have two great enemies that are coming after you when it comes to your marriage, and neither of them are your spouse. Neither is your spouse. Satan is coming for your marriage, number one. Satan hates God's ways and he knows the power of God's design for marriage. Satan knows the tremendous impact a godly marriage can have. And so, yes, he is a roaring lion, but to the first marriage ever, and probably specifically to your marriage today, he loves to come as a slithering serpent, just trying to cause a little bit of enmity so the wedge and wedge can further widen. And so we've got to be on guard. Second, just as the enemy's going to also tempt us with sin, we've also got our flesh. And sin can destroy your marriage quicker than you can imagine. And I'm not just talking about a marriage ending in divorce. I'm speaking maybe even more so to sin's ability to turn a marriage into a dead, lifeless, undivorced marriage. Not one marked by flourishing. And the results of that are devastating. And so, how do we respond in humility? Four things. Number one, confess. This is true no matter what state. If you could married, divorced, single, this is a faithful way to respond all the time. But confess. Again, if you're not sure if you have anything to confess, remind yourself of God's high call of marriage and own that today. You may just have little things. You may just need to have a short account sewed up today and look in your spouse's eye and forgive you. I would encourage every single one of us to grab our spouse and to begin to own, just even if it's a little thing, 
Husbands, I'd encourage you to lean out and go first. And then if you've invited sin into your marriage and into your life, today's the day. Get it in the light. Confess. As Michael quoted the verse earlier, Proverbs 28, 13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. And so you do well to take that first humble step. You're gonna have to battle some lies along the way in order to get to that place. One of the lies that I sometimes hear a lot was, well, it was a long time ago, and I think I've gotten away with it. Spurgeon says it this way, youthful sins lay a foundation for aged sorrows. Scripture says it this way. Scripture says you're actually playing a game of would you rather. Do you ever play that game, would you rather? This like ridiculous game of would you rather die this way or would you rather die this way? It's like, I, I kind of just want to live. Can, what's the, the other option? Scripture says when you trifle with sin and keep it in, you either, as Michael said, Psalm 32, 3, while you stay silent about your sin, your bones waste away, your heart decays, or as Hebrews 3, 13 says, the deceitfulness of sin will harden your heart. You either decay your heart or you harden your heart. Either way leads to death. I'd choose the middle route that leads to life confess. But maybe you say, no, 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 it's not a big deal. I've got it under control. There's no such thing as a little bit of sin. There's no such thing as a little bit of pornography. There's no such thing as a little bit of anger. There's no such thing as a little bit of financial foolishness. There's no such thing as a little bit of undealt with, unconfessed sin. A little bit of leaven, scripture says, can ruin the whole dough. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But you go, man, if I, tell, if, I, if I share that with my spouse, it might end the marriage. I submit to you, it might be the beginning of your marriage. Now look, I can't promise how your spouse will react, but I can promise you this, you do yourself and your spouse no favors by managing your own sin. And don't forget that God is big enough to handle the pain of your spouse and walk with them. And don't forget that there's a body of believers here that want to fulfill Galatians 6, which says if a brother or sister is caught in a spiritual trespass, those that are spiritual are to come around that person and bear their burden, thereby fulfilling the law of Christ. Take us up on that offer. You don't have to walk alone. God is big enough to walk with your spouse through their hurt. God is big enough to invite the church in and walk with you during this. I have walked deeply in messy marriages here for six plus years. And I will tell you, I'm never surprised at what happens in a marriage and a family and in the other spouse when there is sin. I am never surprised at the devastation. And that goes for any, I'm never surprised at the devastation that sin causes. And... When a spouse or when a person is willing to take the bold, courageous step of putting their sin into the light, I am never surprised at what happens next. I'm never surprised at the life that begins to, to grow up within them as Christ makes them new creations and, and out with the old and in with the new. I'm never surprised at what happens in the marriage as it begins to flourish and the generations that get to change. I've watched generations already change before my very eyes in the last six years. 
It's one of the reasons that one of my favorite rooms on Monday night, which is our marriage ministry, Tuesday night, which is regeneration. My favorite room isn't even the large group room where we get to hear stories. My favorite room to walk in is the midweek training ground area for our kids. Because I remind myself of the stakes. And if you serve in our midweek training ground ministry, midweek childcare on Monday and Tuesday night, I just want to say thank you for being a part of our marriage ministry and for how you give of your life. And I know we've got single friends in the room that give themselves away on Monday and Tuesday night, and I just want to say, man, thank you for helping us fight for the high call of marriage. Thank you. Man, I watch children's generations change before my very eyes. That's number one, confess. Number two, forgive. Man, the power of forgiveness. Those of us who know Christ, we know the power of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then it says, therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children. Forgiveness isn't easy. It took Christ's blood to get it. Forgiveness is never easy, but it is faithful. Forgiveness isn't forgetting, it's not enabling, it's not staying quiet. But when you grant it, forgiveness is a gift to you. If you're struggling to forgive your spouse, you are struggling with the very heart of the gospel. If you are struggling to forgive your spouse, you are struggling with the very heart of the gospel. Now, if you are struggling with the consequences of your spouse's sin, that's a completely different thing. That's all of us. Until Christ returns or brings us home, we will have to struggle with the sin of others and the consequences of it, but do it faithfully. Forgiveness doesn't make you the better spouse. It makes you an obedient Christ follower. It is not the higher road. It is the faithful road. Not easy, but faithful. Number three, repent. If you've tasted the power of confession, if you've tasted the power of forgiveness, then you let both of those things put fuel on the fire of repentance and you turn from your ways. Don't go back. John the Baptist says it in John 3. Paul says it in Acts 26. Keep bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. You have been forgiven much Go walk in a manner worthy of it. And if you've been doing those three things, confessing and forgiving and repenting, then let me give you number four, which is go celebrate. Go celebrate. God's design for marriage is beautiful and it is a gift and go enjoy it. Go on adventures with your spouse, date your spouse, enjoy it. Marvel at what, at what Christ's transformative power has done in your life and celebrate it. Tell the story. Just a couple uh, weeks ago, my wife and I, we got uh, to have a little steak dinner and it was amazing. Filet mignon, I highly recommend it if you can do it. That was the first time in many years for us. And one of the questions that we just talked about is, what do you think our kids have just picked up from us over the last seven years, just looking at our marriage? That's when I went through step one on the confess side. And we got to just sit back and we're not perfect by any means, but we did celebrate God's transformative power and what he's been doing in our marriage. Go celebrate. Such a gift. 
You want to change the world? You want to establish to the world how much of a gift the institution of marriage is? Let's start there. You know what we call? Do you know what we call when people, men and women and others, just begin to confess and forgive one another and then repent from their sins and then they begin to celebrate God's transformative power, Christ's transformative power? Do you know what we call that? We call that revival. Do you know what this land is in need of today? Revival. It's our homework right there. Four steps to humble ourselves and to begin to change ourselves, our marriages, our families, and our societies to confess. Because man, I'm telling you, confess sin, forgiven sin, repented from sin, celebration of Christ's transformative power, that will preach. And so you have your homework. And if you do it right, it might end in a steak dinner, right? Number three, how do we love others as ambassadors? I don't have much time, but let me just, let me just start by, by saying this. I think most, most of us would probably agree that in our land today, there is a long road ahead to restore God's design of marriage in our land. It's a long road ahead, but I, I think we can get overwhelmed by it when in reality, let me just simplify what your next faithful step or two can be. One, we've already talked about it. Start at home. Make your marriage compelling. A compelling marriage is a great apologetic for the gospel and for God's design for marriage. Do you know that two of your elders here, when they were teenagers, had wanted nothing to do with marriage? They wanted to avoid it at all costs. They had seen some of the pain that it they caused. They had worked in certain situations where they saw bickering and fighting, and they're like, why would I want to do that? And then both of them had an opportunity to live in, uh, in a house for a month where they got to watch God's design for marriage, by and large, unfold before their very eyes. And they said, give me some of that. And they never turned back. And we're beneficiaries, not just of their marriages, but of their walks with Christ because of that. A compelling marriage is a great apologetic for the Lord. Number two, tell your story. I get asked all the time. I get asked all the time, did you tell your kids your story, Jeff? If you don't know my story, it's out there. Years of financial foolishness, deceit, lying, stealing, it's out there. People ask, did you tell your kids your story, Jeff? And I take them to Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 21 each time. The great family chapter in your Old Testament. It says when your son asks you in time of come, in time to come, when your daughter asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded then? Then you shall say to your son, we were once Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. If your son, if your daughter, if your coworker, if your friend asks you your story, you tell them where the Lord found you. Tell them of your Egypt. And then you tell them of the Lord's strong, mighty right hand that brought you out of it. It just might be the best gospel presentation they ever hear. Because your transformed life by Christ points them back to this book. Keep telling your story. Over the last seven years, I've told my parents, I've told my in-laws, I've told my sister, I've told just about everyone we've ever invited over for dinner. 
Keep telling your story. Three, lean in during community. If you're walking faithfully with Jesus, I want you to assume you're the only one in the room bold enough to ask the awkward question, the hard question, the next question in your community group. Lean in. And look, I'm not talking guns blazing. Ambassadors don't fight wars. We've talked about that. They represent the king. They represent God's design for marriage in this instance, and they're ambassadors of that, even in their community groups. So keep pushing couples back towards one another. Number four, I can't say this enough and with enough emphasis, don't run away from hard, messy marriages. Revival will take one marriage at a time. And here's the neat thing. On Monday nights, we have couples raising their hands going, hey, I've got room to grow. We want help. If you, if you don't know about that Monday night, come. If you need, in need of revival, in need of your marriage coming back to life. And we have leaders here and we need more leaders who have compelling marriages to come on Monday night and help us lead the ministry. Tuesday nights, same thing. We have foundation groups here that serve young married couples we need three leaders for them. Five, mar- five young married couples are raising their hand going, we want to see marriage modeled in a way. And so you who has a compelling marriage, come show your marriage. A lot of times it's caught more than it's taught. And so come model your marriage, your Christ-centered marriage in a way that completely changes the, trans- the, the foundation for our young marrieds here. We have couples that are planning on getting married or desiring a, married, a marriage, and so you can serve and merge, or two-on-two. Either way, don't fear getting involved in marriages, and especially don't feel the hard, messy marriage. Don't fear it. Don't fear the pastoral phone call, because you might just get to see the gospel's very power open up right before your eyes. I begin to write down uh, names here of, of, of that gospel transformation, Christ's transformation, in marriages specifically here, and I got down, I got 43 couples written down here in this room, and I just want to say way to go, and I didn't even get close to finishing it. To my shame, I put my pen down because I was like, there's many more to go, and I just want to say way to go for those of you that have walked this road of confession, of forgiveness, of repentance, and now celebration. I want to say way to go. There's others in this room who, by and large, since the day they made their wedding vows have walked about as faithfully as married couples can walk. And I want to say way to go to you. That's the best testimony. And that's the testimony that I hope my kids have if they are to marry. And we need more of you modeling that for us that are watching. Show us how it's done. Even from the start of day one, way to go. For us, for all of us, regardless of which state we're in, we have our homework. We all have something to confess. It could be a short account of, hey, I just haven't been loving, serving, sanctifying, or respecting, or, 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 or willingly coming under your authority and helping complete you. It may be just one of those things, and it may be a short thing. Confess it today. Look each other in the eye. Men, you start first. Or maybe there's something bigger. Don't miss out on the opportunity today to get it in the light. It might just be the pivot point in your life that should changes your trajectory. 
Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.